Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for listening. Whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is one of the longest tenured head coaches in all of Division I football. He is a 2007 Eddie Robinson Award winner. His list of other incredible career stats is linked up here as he sent dozens of players on at their chance at the NFL. He's won seven conference titles, two that I was actually a part of, as this episode is a little extra special to me as I am grateful and excited to welcome my former college head coach and the head coach for the University of Northern Iowa Panthers, to the Elevate Podcast, Mark Farley. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Good, good. Uh, I'm. Uh, we were just reminiscing a little bit about my gray hair, and uh, I think uh, the time you've been at Northern Iowa. But I think one of the things that that stands out uh, as I kind of reflect back on your career is that just the one of the longest tenured Division One coaches across the country. And what do you attribute that to? Um, I know you've had a, a long, loyal, you know, to Northern Iowa, but uh, a lot of coaches move and go for a lot of different reasons. What's kept you where you are and, and kept you committed to the community? I think there's multiple things when you start, when you stay in one place, I think uh, there's multiple things that have to fall in line uh, that, you know, nobody can ever project the future. But I think around here for me in particular, you know, loyalty was a big deal because I am an alumni of this place. I think uh, loyalty to the former players because there's so many great guys that you've been a part of that they're family now. They're not just teammates or, or brothers as they were as teammates to you, but now they're actually family because I was a head coach when they were here. So there's loyalty to them, but uh, loyalty to your family because I want to make sure that my kids grew up in one high school and got to play, call someplace home for the rest of their life. And uh, Cedar Falls is a great community. And then, you know, it's just you want to be in a place that loves football, that football is important, too. And you always got a great chance to win. And, and we do that here at the University of Northern Iowa. And I think no one can sell the dome like Coach Mark Farley, I think. And I think you've shown that over the years and not only your ability to recruit, but uh, I think the other thing you've been able to draw to Northern Iowa is so many great coaches. I think you've brought so many back through the years. Um, I know a couple that are just returned and then. Uh, I think so many coaches that you've helped early in their career and begin a coaching career of their own. Uh, what do you enjoy most about seeing other coaches grow within the game of football? Well, it's I, what I what I've really taken a hold of, or, or it's kind of evolved, is uh, you know who, who you hire. And being in one place as long as I have, we, we've hired a lot of coaches. When you're successful, you're going to lose coaches. And uh, when you're unsuccessful, then everybody's going to get move on. So it's one or the other. And we've been very successful over the years since because of the assistant coaches as much as the players that we brought in here. But, you know, in regards to uh, the hiring process, I always got big into number one, particularly when I was young, I wanted one really experienced guy that I could rely on somebody to cross check me. I mean, somebody that I could go to and somebody that had the confidence and the experience that they could say, Hey coach, you know, look at it from this view and maybe instead of from this view. And then ultimately your salary pool dictates that you're going to get a lot of young coaches in the FCS ranks. 
And then I wanted to get somebody that was passionate about football, somebody that that uh, uh, was was a great teacher. Because yeah. when when I go out and hire somebody, and when I have a meeting with my staff, it's not it's all about the player. And the player, you know, the the work starts when the player uh, when we start teaching them on the field. It's not the recruiting process. The recruiting is somebody's got to pick somebody. We pick them because of talent. They pick us because of what we told them. And when somebody comes here, the work starts when they arrive on campus because we told them what we're going to be. Now we have to uphold what we said. And that's where the head coach, I'm going to be here. I'm going to see him graduate. So I'm going to go out and hire the assistants that are one, great teachers, two, that are passionate about football, and three, that are passionate about bringing up young men in the right way. And those guys are hard to find because to hit on all three cylinders is, is a very unique person. And we've, we've hit on that. And uh, you can go down the list of the guys that have became head coaches uh, uh, in, in the BCS, defensive coordinators in the BCS, offensive coordinators in the BCS, yep. uh, NFL uh, assistant coaches. I mean, and all of them, you know, just like our former players. The common denominator, they were passionate about their players. They loved their players. The players loved them. And they were they were passionate about the teaching process on the field. We can learn the rest of this stuff. It's not the X's and O's. It, it, it is it is is who you are on the on the on the field with your players. And then those guys that evolve like that have great careers after they leave you. Yeah, that was my experience with uh, mostly uh, at a couple of DB coaches, but Coach Bolks, you know, Rob was a, he was a teacher and he, took, he coached some players much better than I before and after my time. But uh, you hit on something, too, that I, I always talk to student athletes when they're kind of, you know, that exciting signing day, which uh, I remember sending a fax to Northern Iowa in, in for my signing day and checking it from the payphone near the gym to make sure they got the fax. No balloons, no cameras, went back to class. Um, I do remind kids why they should celebrate that opportunity. That commitment that they sign is the beginning and to committing to heart, work harder. And it's not usually, it's not going to get easier once you arrive on campus. And I remember my first one-on-one uh, in fall camp was against Eddie Berlin, and uh, I got smoked. <laughs> and, uh, you know, another great player we had. But what is it that... Uh, when families are looking at Northern Iowa and recruits, what does that sell to them about the workload? Because I know it was very honest when I was experienced it. What do you tell them about the workload it's going to be to, to be a Panther? Well, one, I'd start with this. They have to they have to see, see the results. There's got to be a vision in recruiting. It's not who you are that day we take you. When, when we bring guys in here right now, they're 16, 17 years old today. And we're recruiting them. I want to know what they're going to look like when they're 21 years old. That's when that's when they're in their 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 best for college football. So what are you going to be when you're 21? And so first we have to create a vision for them. And that's my job is you know look at the frame, look at the personality, look at the passion, look at the look at the parents, look at the character, uh, find all those things that you're looking for to fit your school. So the first thing we're looking for is you know the the vision. And then you have to, to, to present the vision to them, not sell the vision. I'm not going to sell anything. All right. I'm going to present the vision of what I see for them in their future here. And if it matches up right, then it's a great take because it's going to come out that way if we just tell the truth. And that's what the way, as you know, that's how we recruit. That's how we talk to our players here. But it's the vision. And then, two, everybody's got a vision. It could, could probably present a vision. But who can produce the vision and create the vision? 
And yep. that's what we do here, you and I, because that's that's what's going to happen after you get to the university and uh, what's, what's going to be like when you get there. And so what we do is we show the, the before and after shots. This is what he looked like coming in the door. This is what he looked like going out the door. And that's a huge deal because he did the work. And that goes right back. It goes right back to our weight room with Jed Smith. I mean, Jed's been with me since 2004. You know, there's there's a reason I'm here uh, and having the success. It's the other people. It's it's what Jed has done in the weight room since 2004. It's what Stace has done in academics since 2006. I mean, I can go right down the list. They've been here, but they have been the foundation to create the vision that we present to the player. And Jed puts them in the weight room. And you mentioned the work. You know, it's not work. You know, if it work means that I'm grinding, okay, I'm going there and I'm, I, you know, work sounds like it's negative. That you're training, okay. Yeah. If you're passionate, man, I've been here. I work every. I I come into the. I should be careful. I come into the office every day, Christmas Day, New Year's Day. I've never worked a day in my life, all right, because I'm training. I'm preparing. It's what I want to do. And even if I wasn't pay, getting paid for it, you still want to do it. And that's what we want our our athletes to know is if you come in here and you train at the capacity and volume that we train at this vision can be attained because we chose you because we believe you can get there with the tools that you have and, and the things that are instilled in you. And then while you're in here, we're going to instill those things of work ethic and time spent in the weight room. And then when you get production versus the time you put in, then you're going to start to do it because you see the results and that's what we have to instill in you while you're here by going through our process. I love training. And I think you you got to love it. Um, sometimes my former teammates even tell me I was better at the training part than playing football. Um, but uh, when you look at the 20 plus years you've been at Northern Iowa, a lot of changes across the landscape, um, especially NIL, portal, different things like that. Um, what new challenges has that created? I think as I reflect on you and I, it's very internally, we know what the culture is when you, when you've been internal with it. Um, how do you continue to develop that culture with athletes that are a little bit more transient due to new rules and options available to them? I, I think that's the, that's the phase. That's, that's the, the process we're going right now that's evolving in front of us. And, uh, we all read about the first, the first thing that is, uh, challenging is the internet. I mean, there's so much information out there. It's not all true, but every every bit of information is taken in by the recruits and the prospects and the players and, and the fans, and everybody's reading that as, as their news and it's perception. So, you know, the reality of it is, is that's, that's the challenge right now is how to, how to get the information that's, that's, uh, that's needed uh, out there. That's, that's usable in truth. Uh, then you jump into the to the uh, the NLIs, uh, the name, image, likeness. I mean, that's that's a big deal. And and honestly, that is great for the players. And actually, it's needed for the players. But the intent of it was to uh, I always refer back to Caitlin Clark. I think she's the ba ba best example of that in the country of what the intention of name, image, and likeness is. When somebody gets there makes a name for themselves because of what they brought to the university with their talent, then they deserve to make some of that money back using their name, image, and likeness. And I think we can all relate to that because she created that image. 
That is my belief of what the intent of that was. It has become the intent now of how much can I make in college football? Who's going to pay me more to come there? And it's became more free agency uh, in that regard of what's came out of this instead of, I believe what the true intent was. So there's a balancing act there that we as a college uh, a group have to uh, really redefine and get back in, in between the lines. Uh, so it can be uh, some equity in it because that has changed the game in equity, how it relates to us. Shoot. I've had, you know, every year, you know, our players are getting followed by BCS uh, coaches and things like that. And they're trying to create that connection to, Hey, come over here instead over there. So basically they're trying to use uh, the level that they're, they're trying to use football uh, in a way to recruit from other teams and rules or no rules. There's ways to do it and it's happening. So we have to find ways to overcome that challenge. I mean, I'm never, I'm never going to attack it because we're in the game right now. It's not going to change. Right. How do, how do we win within the system that we're in? And that, that means you better have a great culture within your own team. You better uh, be truthful with your players and you better have uh, the expectations and productions that you told them when you recruit them to retain them. Yeah. And even if you do it right, there's still a chance you might lose a great player as well. Uh, but in the same breath, you know, the portal goes both ways. Okay, yep. our starting quarterback came out of the portal, and uh, so it goes both ways. So you just have to find a way to win within the system that we're we're uh, we're in right now. Definitely, and I think you know whether you know wherever kids come from, if you're going to have success on the field, there, there's a leadership quality, and I think you've always done a great job of not just creating leaders that are the upperclassmen, but um, those guys stewarding the leaders of, of the younger guys and setting a tone. How do you, what's changed in how you develop in Stuart leadership within the team? I know we used to have kind of, you know, our leadership committees and our captains and a couple different ways uh, to communicate with you, but uh, how do you develop in Stuart leadership on the team now? Well, that, that's a great question because each year is probably a little different based off the quality of the, of the, of the guys you're talking about, because leaders, leaders and cultures are such loosely termed, uh, things that people throw out there, you know, to have coach talk and becomes coach talk a little bit. So I try to dig in that, you know, who, what type of players do you have that have the experience that understand the culture and where you're at, that will, that will become the group that leads the team, but you can't name a leader. I mean, I think the, I, I know this, I don't think it, the, the players know who to follow it might not be the most vocal guy. It might be not be the most talented guy, but the players will tend the players will follow those they believe in, those they trust. And so I think trust is the underlying uh, trust and truth is the underlying uh, key to leadership and culture. And if you have trust and truth, we can all define those two things. And th those are intrinsic things that uh, we all sense and not told. And just because a guy breaks you down at the end of a game or, or talks to a team before the team starts, that's that, not necessarily the leader. Right, okay, right. It's the guy that you trust that has the truth that you will react and respond to. And I think those are the keys to uh, those elements you spoke of. Yeah, I think uh, you can only push kids and people as far as they trust you. But if you trust them, if you got trust, you can push each other pretty far. And uh, when you talk about... Um, 
the truth. I think there's an old, I think Doc Rivers said, you know, great athletes want to hear the truth. I remember I, uh, when you got hired, we're going to date ourselves now, but in 2001, it was a unique opportunity. And as I've talked to many other college athletes, this was a process that they'd never been involved in. But um, the AD at the time allowed us as a team to inter- counter-interview the five finalists for the job. And I remember we as a team all came out of there and we did not rate you very high. We, you know, this story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, a lot of the other coaches, as you know, we kind of recollect now it was, you know, the promise of some Nike and some gear and some things. And and you came in with the truth and it stung (laughs) and you told us about our defense and you told us about how we could improve and where things could be and should be. And I think it, it was that truth that created authenticity which created the trust and i think you know if you're not going to be authentic you're not going to create relationships you won't get to trust and when you were chosen we were like all right well at least we know where we stand with this guy and we were able to work from there you know and we won a conference title in the first year right and i think um how important is it for kids to hear the truth and to also work from it once they hear it I think you explained it exactly from your experience. That's the recruiting experience is there's promises and, uh, and, and there's truth and some, and it's truth. Isn't my belief is this is, you know, even as a player, even as my experience as a player, don't, don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. And that's, that's the truth. And whereas in recruiting, Man, and even in, in with players sometimes, and I've dealt with it, with this with with assistant coaches is uh, just a quick example. You know, you go and ask a coach, and going, "Hey, what do I got to do to play?" Okay, like yourself, I was a walk on, so I experienced this. You walk into a coach, and you're giving your heart, you're giving your soul, you're giving your effort, you're doing the work, you're you're doing all those things, and then you're still not on the field. So then you're going, "What do I got to do?" And instead of thinking about it, walk into the coach and say, "Coach, you know, tell me, explain to me." Show me what I need to do. What what in your eyes do I need to do to get on this football field? Yep. And that you just want the truth. And then some guys will say, well, go get bigger, faster, and stronger. And I'm going, well, uh, that's obvious. All right, come on. What? No, tell me about I'm, I'm not making the break. I'm not making the catch. I'm not right. running the route tight enough. I'm not I'm not getting to where I belong. I'm getting overcome by the block. What? What is it? But show me what you're looking for. And then I it's up to me to go get it done. That's the truth. And versus telling what people want to hear that's the promise and it's just a way to pat you on the butt and get you out of the office and to me that's not how you create the the championship team because your team won first year in we went to the semifinals you remember the championships gateway championship i remember going to semifinals all right and that team that team got behind each other and the players took that team over because they understood that the 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 schemes, but they understood how to work together and, and and grind together. We weren't the best team, all right, on the field all the time as far as best athletes. We were the best team is how I should say it. We didn't have the best athletes, but, man, we were dang sure we were the best team on that field because how we played, we played faster than people that were maybe faster than us. We beat people off the line because we, we had invested the time that we knew we could win the battle and the strength contest just because of what we believed in ourselves. And it was the players that created that because you guys took that team and ran with it. 
And it wasn't about the leaders of the team. It was the expectations of the guys that were the most experienced and say, this is what we're going to do. And then they started believing that. Next thing you know, we start winning. Heck, we got whooped the first game, if you remember. All right. And then, and then after that, man, we got on a run. And then everybody that we lined up with, man, we were, we were come from behind and, you know, we, we, we didn't allow people to, to beat us. We, we won the game because of willpower. Yeah. How, uh, from those years to now, uh, when you self-reflect, how have you changed as a coach and, and maybe become more effective? Oh, that's a great question. Because, uh, man, you better evolve. The game's evolved. The game has changed. It's still got the same rules to it, but, man, it has changed. You know, offense has changed. Defense has changed. Uh, leagues have changed. Uh the player uh, recruiting has changed. I mean, probably the the way to do it. I don't even know how to verbalize that, quite frankly. It's just, and I've changed because of the approach with the players. You know, you're you're young and fiery and, and going to beat everybody, you know, coming out of the gate. And then you start to learn that the, the what you instill in them is really affects them over the course of time. Yeah. And it's became... Uh, that you really have to coach your coaches now. Before I, I was mm. when I first got here. You know, uh, Rob Bolks was my mentor. Uh, Ted Gill was my mentor. Yeah. Uh, 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 Neiman was 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 technically a mentor. He was here before me. Okay? okay, and I look at all these guys. I was learning from them as much as they were learning from me. Okay, I don't know if they learned anything from me. I was probably learning from them. And then now it's totally on the other side. Every coach I bring in here. I think there's a learning curve of what's what's the expectation to be a division one football coach. All right. And what's what's the workload of a division one football coach? What is what what's it like? And I think by what we teach them here or what they learn through here, they understand when they make it to the BCS. I think that's why the BCS really comes after our guys a lot is once they get there, they are very good when they get there because of their experiences of what they learned of what it's going to be like yeah. when they get there. And if anything, I hope that helps them. Yeah. And uh, then they can catapult off their careers and, and build from what, what they've learned. But yeah, you've got to change. So there's a lot more coaching coaches now, maybe than was back in the day, sure. but uh, it's still, it's still football. It's still X's and O's. It's still motivating players. It's still getting guys to, to, to play to a, a level above their talent. And when you can get a guys to play one notch above their talent level, man, you always got a chance to win it all. I think you got me to that notch, I think. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, wanted to share two stories and get your your reflections or feedback on them. But they're stories that I share with, with high school and college athletes that I work with. Um, one moment I remember uh, was you're trying to teach me some nickelback and I kept stepping backwards and you, you did not want me to do that. And Throughout practice, you started sneaking up on me and just creeping up behind me. And you caught and you caught me doing it, bumping into you, and you gotcha, you got me. And I was about to kind of lose my cool and lose my patience. And I remember Casey Tierney kind of looking me in the huddle and he was like, He wouldn't be standing behind you if he didn't think you could do it and he didn't care. Something to that effect. And it was this, you know, I thought you're just trying to rattle me and, and get me angry. Um, but it was that leadership that in that moment that he kind of did that. And it's something I've always told kids. I'm like, don't worry if they're standing behind you, they care and they know you're capable. 
when they're standing far away from you, be more concerned. And I, and I think, you know, that was a moment for me that I, I thought you didn't, you know, being right behind me and then that validation from a leader, it was like, oh, he, he believes in my capability. And I think that that moment, um, you know, also just as you, I don't know if that even you remember that moment, you've probably done that to a bunch of kids snuck up behind them when they're getting a false step over the years. But, um, you know, when you are sometimes, again, that trust was there. So you're able to push me. You were able to push me because I trust you. Um, where do you find that that balance of, of being able to let a kid know that they're capable and pushing them to make them sometimes understand that they are? I, th I think that's that goes back to our original, you know, the, the consistency with how you communicate with people from the day you meet them. Trust starts the first day you meet them. Okay. And then through time, you know, it, it, it evolves as, as, as that, that connection. Okay. And it's through communication and it's through results and it's, and it's through uh, uh, meaningful things that happen that you projected that still happen. So I'm going to jump back to what you said, man, you, you explained it perfectly correct as far as who's capable and, and to take them to that level. So it's that vision of what you can do with your skill set. So I'll walk into a staff room. I'll, I'll, I'll tell the players many times, I'm going to play to your strength. I'm going to watch our players' movements. I mean, everybody moves differently. Yeah. All right. We have a way we want to get it done. We have a template of what we want it to look like, but we can't live off a template. All right. We got to be able to adapt and adjust to each individual with what his skill set is. And if you're going to take a kid to the next level, then you have to really understand him of how he thinks. But you got to learn how he thinks before you can really teach him. Okay, because I learned that from my coach. Daryl Mudra was a doctor of psychology, and he was all about the teaching aspect. And it's all about the learner. It's not about the teacher. It's about the learner. And that's what he explained to us was, man, it's you got to you got to you got to know the individual you're talking to with how they think. How what how are they uh, how are they interpreting what you're saying? Mm -hmm. And it makes a big difference because we all hear things differently because of our past. And so everybody's going to interpret a, a, a viewpoint differently based off how they viewed it from their past. So you have to learn that to become a great teacher. And that's a big part of this whole thing, too. And, you know, just like you said, then you got to dive in and play to their strengths. Some guys are peddlers. Some guys are more open up their hips better and I get better speed out of them. But some guys can't pedal. Some guys can. Some guys can play out of a two point stance. Some guys can play out of a three point. It all depends on what their past is, but we want to maximize you now, not 10 years from now. All right. I want you on the field and you want to be on the field this year. And then over the course of three, four five years, then I can develop you into a peddler and everything else that it takes to be a long-term player. But you want immediate results as much as you want long-term results. So all those things matter. And then jumping into the individual. Absolutely. I still stand behind I'm, I'm right behind the, the, the linebackers as of the last practice, all right? I'm right in his ear before the ball snapped because I want his eyes where they belong. I want that first step makes or breaks you. As you know, that's, that's what we always said. The first step will make or break you because when you're a – I believe this. You're a great example. You can take a 4-6 safety and make him into a 4-4 safety, all right, if he will step correctly and he has savviness and he has awareness of where the play is going before it goes there. You can also take a 4-4 athlete, and he's going to look like a 4-8 athlete on that field if he's going the wrong direction with his first step where he's just pedaling out and getting too deep. So I believe that that teaching aspect is, is that first step makes or breaks you. 
And if you can train that, go recruit the best athlete you can. All right. Sure. And then get in a couple tens faster with what you're teaching them about the game, the savviness of the game. And then as they evolve as players, develop them into that full rounded player that you're hoping makes the NFL. Yeah. I, you know, I definitely ran a four or five just for, I think, the record. Just- <laughs> I just want to make sure. I, think, right. I was off. I was off by a tenth. See, but, but you did make me play faster, and I think the, <laughs> you know it brings me to kind of one of the other you know I think life lessons I took from our defense and your coaching was uh, not being hesitant. You always told our defense, when we hesitate, we're going to get beat. And I, I think just in my life and in career, sometimes it's like, man, don't hesitate. When you hesitate, you're prone to get beat. And I think that's just a life lesson that I think just kind of came from experience through your coaching on defense. But when you hear that uh, in life, how, how does that hit home with you off the football field? Oh, that's, that's huge. You know, when you, when you start hesitation and even as you, as you evolve, sometimes you, sometimes you feel uh, to play more safe, uh, maybe more uh, percentage percentage wise. But when you, you say the same thing, it applies across the board, man is you can't hesitate. You can't second guess yourself. So uh, I'm going to go to the goal line. I think that's the first time I ever explained it to you guys is down at the goal line. Man, you go off your first instinct at the goal line on, on defense. You can't second guess yourself. You got to go because there's only a, a couple yards down there and whatever hits the hardest is going to get knocked back. So you can't wait. You got to go off what you believe and your first instinct. And your first instinct is a true instinct. Will you be wrong once in a while? Yes. All right. But man, okay, you're going to be right a heck of a lot more, and you're going to make more progress if you don't hesitate because of how you prepared. If you prepared correctly, there is no hesitation. Don't second guess yourself because you put the time in. Start to say, if you don't put the time in, you better be second guessing yourself all the time. All right. Cause then you're guessing. Right. So play with no hesitation versus guessing are two different things. And sometimes they're interpreted the same way. So you put the time in, you prepare. You do the things that are necessary, then don't hesitate and rely on your training, rely on what on your on what you prepared for. And then the hesitation takes it out of the game. And now apply that to, to go getting jobs, being in jobs, making those crucial decisions with family decisions, with with business decisions. Don't hesitate if you're prepared. All right. Go with your gut because your gut is why you're good. And it's, it's all those things that you prepared all your life whether from your parents, from your coaches, or from your own experiences, your gut's going to lead you in a direction. Don't second guess it, okay? If you prepared and did the time analytically, then go with your gut to make those split-second choices. Love it, Coach. When when you say goal line to you, my, my first thing through my mind is Mike slide 10. <laughs> slide Mike 10. <laughs> slide Mike 10. You know, so man, I got to get it right before I call this check. But, um, you know, that was, uh, I think, one of our defenses that that we played fast with down there. But uh, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, um, you know, my listeners are probably, we're 130 some episodes into this. We've talked to sports psychologists, coaches, NFL players. We've never talked to someone that's coached me. And so when you look back, uh, you know, and if you wanted to tell our listeners and give them some insight, what what kind of player was I? What kind of leader was I? Give me a grade. I'll take it. Take a tough grade. If But uh, what do you recall about my days being there as a player and and as a teammate? Here's here's how I grade you. You were an example of that team. So if you, you guys remember, uh, you and I is a uh, 
powerhouse, okay, for years. Then uh, over four years, they were good, but they had, hadn't made the playoffs, okay? So when I came back, I was a part of all those years where we were a powerhouse, so I only thought one way. I knew the you and I way of what was expected and what what was what was uh, doable. And you guys had good teams, but it just lacked that last little push uh, from what I saw. So I'm going to go back. I had to explain that first to explain you. Uh, man, you are a great example of what that team did. And your some of the guys you mentioned, Tierney, I mean, uh, uh, man, vote. You guys, you guys all over, you, you had the determination, all right, to be great. You had the work ethic to be great. You loved and you all were passionate about football. Grading you as a player, as a player on the field, I'm going to give you a B, okay? But a player on game day was an A. Uh, and as a teammate, an A plus, because your will your uh, that that presence of that willpower was throughout your whole team, mm. and uh, that's that's why we won that year. It wasn't because we were faster and stronger than the opponent across from us. We outwilled them, all right, because of yourself, of not not ever giving up as a player, which projected into not giving up that season or that game, all right, yeah. and. It took all of that to be a champion, and we were champions, all right? That word is used too much as well. There's only one champion, all right? And the champion has those things about them, and it's usually what's instilled and what is not a measurable than what a measurable is, and that's what makes the champion. We all can find the four or five guys and uh, the guys that are A players, but who is the A player on game day? and not the A player on a pro day, okay? Yeah. Pro day is just running around in your shorts and T-shirts, and it, <laughs> it's a measurable with a clock. Yeah. But on game day, it is not the measurable. It is the champion that shows up, and that's come from the instinctive things from within. And that's what you represented with your team and your teammates in your, in your class. Man, you guys were determined to be good, no matter who the coach was going to be. Yeah. You just needed to find – the way to pull it all together and somebody to show you what the university could do, what the school could do and what you guys could do together by bringing along the other guys with you because you needed the others to be great, just like you wanted to be great, mm -hmm. but it was how to bring that out and create that team. And that's what Casey Tierney did for you. As you explained, you know, what you did for somebody else along the way and the determination, the heart and the will is what you were a plus at. And that's why that team was a championship team that went to the semifinals that year. And we ran the table. We got whooped the first game. Okay. But you guys were determined not to let it happen again. And then we continued down the path. Heck, we even lost our starting quarterback that year and uh, played with the, played with the backup, but the backup took us to the, to the semifinals yeah. because the backup prepared for the first five games Heck to your listeners, to your to the to the young guys out there. We had a quarterback your particular season. He was the junior college guy. I didn't know him that well. We started the other guy. We were really good. All right. Petrie took us all the way. What? We were we were five and one, six and one. Yeah, he breaks yeah. his collarbone. Breaks his collarbone. He's out. All right. But when the backup came in, 
what people don't know about the backup is he prepared every single game like he was going to be the starter. I'd go down in our meeting room and he'd be down there at 10, 11 o'clock as the backup quarterback, not even knowing if he's going to play that game, preparing like the starter individually on his own time, not with coaches around. He's watching tape and he did that for five, six weeks. So when he did get his chance, he was prepared. And then ultimately he took us all the way to the semifinal. And I remember starting him in the semifinal game when the other guy had came back from the injury and was ready to play again. And it was because of how he prepared that he took the baton in the middle of a season and kept it going. And that's what you were. That's what your group was. And that's why that team was a championship team. That's a fair, fair grades. I appreciate it. Great uh, story on, you know, Griff and, and Tom and kind of that battle um, and, and staying prepared and being ready. Uh, I know one other thing you told me as I kind of was around my office, it's like I do, I got my UNI stuff over there, but I don't know where my rings are right now. I know. And you used to tell us they're going to end up in a box somewhere. Um, but you, what you will always, you know, remember is the memories and um, you know, Coaching is a lot of fun. Football is a lot of fun. As you sit there, what brings you the most joy to come into the office and and not do that work that and do what you love to do and train? What brings you joy? What brings me joy is the uh, the players' experience. Talking to you all these years later, all right. Hearing about hearing about a guy that went to law school and he graduated first in his in his in in, in, in his class. All right. He's the number one deal. Seeing a seeing a, a Ben Boothby becomes a all these years later, uh, he becomes an orthopedic surgeon. Tom Petrie, your your quarterback, yeah. is an eye surgeon. Yeah. All right. Heck, Trump. Uh, Trump is, is a heart surgeon. I'm going, are you kidding me? These guys are surgeons now. All right. Not just doctors, but surgeons. And, you know, you go. And what, what brings me joy is to have these guys come back. With a smile, and they they tell stories. They tell some horror stories as much as they tell the good stories. Yeah. And but it was the the process. It was the journey that we all took together that made us who we are today. 